Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, this is Eric, and today we have a recording of a keynote speech given by Gabriel Stricker, who's the Director of Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google. Uh, Many of you know I've been co-chairing this conference, the Digital Impact uh, for PRSA with Elizabeth Albrecht for the last several years. And uh, one of our keynotes uh, uh, this year, it was May um, in New York City, was um, Gabriel Stricker. Again, he is the um, uh, Director of Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google. And it's a pretty good speech. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, before I play it, a couple of housekeeping items I want to mention. Um, first off, uh, we've got a, uh, a Facebook uh, fan page going. So if you would prefer to subscribe to the show on Facebook, you can do that. Um, but either way, uh, if you get a chance to uh, drop by on the com, I sure hope that you'll uh, like the page there if you're listening and you enjoy the show. Um, also, uh, we uh, also have a Twitter account for this sh- uh, show, which you may or may not be aware of. It's just at on the record. So um, again, if you're sort of you know lightening up on your RSS consumption and uh, uh, spending more of your time paying attention to Twitter or Facebook, uh, you can subscribe to the show through those channels as well. Um, also, I want to mention that um, uh, my book. Uh, that I co-wrote with Paul Gillen, Social Marketing to the Business Customer, uh, is about done. Um, we are in the final stages of uh, locking the copy with a Wiley, the publisher, and uh, we've got a, a release date. It's going to be available in stores uh, January 18th, uh, 2011, and at ontherecordpodcast.com is a link to order the book. And uh, if you enjoy the show, I think you'll enjoy the book. It's really the first in-depth, comprehensive uh, social media book focused exclusively on business-to-business applications of social media. So if that's a subject that's of interest to you, um, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm going to run this one uh, with uh, only one commercial break uh, towards the center, uh, but it runs about 45 minutes uh, in total, and uh, he's a very good speaker, so I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, we're going to play it for you uh, in its entirety after this on the record online is the official podcast of the public relations society of america international conference to hear in-depth one-on-one interviews with prsa conference keynoters presenters and panelists search keyword prsa on our show blog at on the Join us October 16th through 19th in Washington, D.C. for the PRSA 2010 International Conference. It is undoubtedly the most revered and admired media company of our time. It's a company that understands that media is not necessarily content. It's wherever you focus your attention. By putting the community they serve before their paying customers, 
and giving us a simple, uncluttered interface to get us where we want to go fast, they've become one of the most respected brands in the world. Explaining Google's key revenue driver AdWords in his recent book, Google, Ken Auletta wrote, the buy was more efficient because it was cheaper, better targeted, and Google only charged when the consumer actually clicked on the ad. Or, as media industry titan Mel Karmazan said, you guys are messing with the magic. With algorithms and science, they single-handedly revolutionized advertising. But as we saw with Google Buzz, a system firmly rooted in logic and reason may, not, may, may be seen by individuals as a violation of privacy too. By integrating a social network, which we think of as a public system, with email, which has always been regarded as private, they challenged online social norms only to redesign the service in response to user complaints, suggesting that logic may not be the best compass for navigating social scenarios. Here to hear from Google to talk to us about how the company is, um, how, how a company with a corporate culture that puts science and data before perception and opinion is adapting to an increasingly social web, uh, is Director of Global Communications and Public Affairs uh, and author of the best selling book on guerrilla marketing, Mao in the Boardroom. Please help me welcome Mr. Gabriel Stricker. Thank you. Before I start, I'm going to just make sure that you all can hear me in the back still. It's a little bit hummy. So-so. Uh, I'll try to, to raise my voice. Is any better still? I'll project. Uh, that quote from the Canaletta book, by the way, I, I think uh, messing with the magic is accurate, except for I don't think that they said messing, but what's words between professionals, right? Um, before I start, just a quick question, since the number one rule of communications is who is your audience? Just a quick show of hands. How many of you guys are in-house communications? Holy mackerel. And how many of you are, are with an agency? Okay. This is, I don't know that I have ever been in a room with so many of my communications brethren like this. This is like, uh, we should call this flax stock or something, right? Um, Anyways, thanks for being here. Uh, I, I hope I can give you a, a spin-free look inside the communications machine at Google. Uh, we get a lot of questions about how it is that we do our work. Um, I don't know that uh, sometimes there is more madness than method, but a lot of times there is a fair amount of method, and I'm, I'm going to try to walk you through a little bit of this. The, the geeky way to, to term it the phrase it at Google is launch and iterate. I'll explain what that means in a second. Um, but before I do, I just wanted to go in for a moment to talk about just the innovation culture at Google in general. So uh, on the left is uh, an image from Bell Labs from, from the days of yore. And it used to be that companies would have this sort of dedicated R&D function like Bell Labs, right? You would have the, the rest of the company that was doing its thing, and then you'd have, in this Bell Labs example, these team of, of R&D specialists, the, the magicians who were sometimes like literally sequestered off 
in a totally different place to do the research and development, right? They were the guys who were the innovators. Uh, that is not how we do things at Google. That is not at all how we do things at Google because when it gets to the point that things are sequestered, where, where innovation is sequestered off in a remote part of the company, and then they report back to the other folks and say, now implement this, uh, first of all, it's quite slow, and, and secondly, as, as you can imagine, it, it breaks. Um, but there's another step beyond that at Google, which is it's almost like a competitive culture of innovation, where in some, in some technology companies in particular, you'll have uh, this, the usual suspects of innovation, engineering, product development, and so on. That's also not how it works at Google. In this sort of competitive culture surrounding innovation, you have uh, uh, the folks like in legal who say, wait a second, why is it that product and eng gets to be the only ones who are the innovators? We want a piece of that. And so they're going to say, well, we want to do the most amazingly innovative legal thing that has ever occurred. You'll have human resources will say, well, we want to out-innovate those guys, and we'll come up with the most amazing innovative HR thing, and on and on, including the communications. And so I want to, uh, a little bit later, walk you through some of the ways that, that we approach communications within, uh, that we approach innovation within communications, um, and how it is that there's a culture that really strongly supports that. Um, the image on the right is just the, the, the notion that it is blended in. It's really every team has this sort of R&D function that is that is fully integrated. And it's my goal today, uh, particularly as, as you guys are trying to digest your lunch, to have as few words on these slides as possible. Hopefully you can stay awake. So what is launch and iterate? There are basically two different approaches to innovating and to introducing your innovations to the world. Uh, there's one really on, on our left, excuse me. I've really confused you already. On our left, which is this kind of castle building approach. It's, it is one in which you are undertaking a, a massive project and in one triumphant voila unveiling, get to introduce what you've done to the world. Um, when it works, and, and, uh, our colleagues uh, in Cupertino at Apple do uh, an amazing job of this. Uh, I, I don't want to say that one is better than the other. They are very different. This idea of a massive uh, dramatic unveiling in one single moment. That is by and large not how we do things at Google. Ours is a launch and innovate. Whew. Is that a little bit better? I think we just got a little bit more volume for me. Ours is a launch and innovate and, and iterate culture. Uh, where, and you can see this image on the right, sort of like a sailboat that's kind of packing its way to a final destination. What we do is we launch something. We will put it out there. And then we will modify and iterate our way towards what the initial destination was. But what this allows us to do by launching and iterating is one, do things very quickly, just get it out there, and two, if there are any mistakes, you can kind of refine your way towards that outcome. This has some perils in the world of communication and some benefits in the world of communication depending on how you do it. Uh, and, and I'm going to leave plenty of time at the end for questions where we can kind of dissect that and, and uh, talk through 
the benefits of launch and iterate versus this kind of dramatic unveiling. Um, a huge part of launch and, and iterate is just testing. And, and this is, by the way, what we do as a company. Many of you, unbeknownst to you, if you're users of, of Google and, and of web search, have in all likelihood maybe been a part of one of our tests. You have been our guinea pigs where maybe we have exposed you to one part of the search engine that is ever so slightly different. It could literally be a couple of pixels on the screen to the left, to the right, up or down, where we're testing things. And when we do this testing, uh, it is not uncommon for people to freak out. That's the technical word for it. Um, we get all sorts of, of, of uh, correspondence coming to our press center from journalists, from everyday users, who, who will wake up one morning and will say, I think I know Google, I think I know web search, I turned it on today, and it showed me this thing that was totally crazy. What is going on? Uh, and so this blog post actually, which is from uh, 2006, can you guys see this in the back at all? Is it just totally hazy words or you can kind of see it? Okay, beautiful. Um, this is a test, this is only a test. Um, what we did in this initial blog post was to be able to say to people, guys, we know you may be a subject to a test. Here's how we do things. Some people get the Google that you know and love. There's a teeny fraction of you who may be getting something slightly different. And this is how, in a world of launch and iterate, how we can iterate. Because what we're doing is very quickly getting feedback from people saying that they do or don't like something. What's happened in today's media world is that we can actually do the same thing with our tools of communication itself. Um, and one of them is with the, with the blog like this. Uh, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Platform. So before we dive into this, and, and I don't know, uh, I just caught the tail end of, of the talk on, on, uh, by Toyota where, where, where we were getting to dig and, and some of the modern tools and platforms that are out there. Um, there are various platforms. All this is moving at breakneck speeds. There's no right or wrong answer again with these things, but one thing we know for sure uh, is that we have come a very long way in a very short period of time. 12 years ago, Google didn't exist. Right? It's, it's sometimes it's shocking when I talk to people and they think, oh, well, Google's always been in my life. Google has not always been in your life. These tools have not always been there, and for a lot of you uh, who have been working in communications for quite some time, you remember back to the way the platforms were because that's the way they always were. Uh, and some, at some point, we started to, to draw this into question. Here's a, a press release from 2002 by the most um, well-known search engine of the time, AltaVista. Some of you may remember it. They were becoming less well-known in 2002, but nevertheless, this was a press release. For those of you who can't read it, it says, Alta Vista momentum mounts as key milestones are met. And then it goes on to say this, that, and the other thing. In 2002, this was the world that we were living in from a communication standpoint. That to get something out there to the world, you issued a press release. And during the bubble, just after the bubble, it continued to be this way. And there were just gobs and gobs and gobs of these press releases. 
press releases about things that were important and things that were, let's just say, slightly less newsworthy, um, like momentum mounts. Is that really like, is that a story? Momentum mounts? That's a story. So this is the clutter that's out there, press release after press release after press release. In our launch and iterate approach to communications, this, and it's no offense, nothing, nothing personal against AltaVista, but that paradigm of the let's put out a press release was not okay. Was really not okay. And it was not okay for a number of reasons. One is, this is like really stiff. I understand the notion of doing a press release that reflects the way an actual story is in, in the newspaper, but like, why are we doing this? I see a lot of you have your computers out right now, and Lord knows maybe you're working on press releases, but why are we still doing this? I feel for you, by the way, we, we, uh, we have to multitask as well, so I, I do not take, there are some of my, uh, uh, colleagues at work who may take offense to the laptops being open. I am not among them, so uh, if you have work to do, I, I don't mind whatever whatever seeps in by osmosis. Um, this is not cool. The press release paradigm isn't fun. It may be the way that reporters engage with the outside world, but it's not fun. It's not the way that most readers and users want to consume information. Um, and so we decided, well, let's try to get to a place and iterate towards a world where we don't have to do this. Um, and so we have a blog platform. There's nothing extraordinary about blogs. A lot of, there's a lot of bloggers out there. Um, when I, but in my pre-Google existence, uh, when I was among you, uh, I had a client who was having a real problem with uh, who will go unmentioned, unnamed, uh, a client who's had a real problem with rapid communication, uh, rapid rapid response um, and, and rebuttal to different things that was happening at his technology company. It was a well-known technology company. Um, this would have been in 1999. Um, and I said, you know what? The problem is, is that you issuing a press release every time you need to respond to something is pretty impractical. It's kind of stilted. Uh, and it's, it ends up being overkill, why don't you just create a blog? Not like a company blog, a corporate blog. We could do this. Um, and uh, sort of heard me out in the middle of this conference and backed up and points finger at me and said, do I look like a darned blogger to you? Although he didn't say darned, as you can imagine. Um, there's a better way. And so we have a blog, the official Google blog. We have many blogs. We have dozens of blogs. Dozens and dozens of blogs. Blogs like the official Google blog. Uh, below it is the public policy blog. If you're a, a policy wonk and want to know the ins and outs of things like net neutrality, that's not something that users, everyday users may or may not be interested in. We have pro uh, blogs for individual, individual products. Um, we have blogs for webmasters. We have blogs for everything and everyone, and it's all targeted to them, and they can subscribe and get what it is that they're looking for in the voice that's required for them. And that's part of the key, because the truth is, is that, just for example, the folks who are subscribing to the public policy blog may not want to geek out about webmaster issues. I'm going to go out on a limb. 
They may not want to. And the webmaster people may not want to geek out about policy issues, but there's got to be a place for all of them to get that information. And we continue to put these blogs out there, these different platforms out there that communicate in a way that's actually in line with the recipients of those messages. And so we have many of these blogs, um, which creates great advantages and some disadvantages too. One of the disadvantages is for the reporters, for the journalists who say, I cannot follow a bajillion blogs by Google. I can't keep track of all this stuff. Enter Twitter. This is the very first tweet that we put out on, uh, goodness, a little over a year ago, the end of February 2009. Um, but we're a pretty geeky place, right? I don't know if there are, are lots of experts in binary out there, but this says, for those of you who can't see the back, I'm and then zero one one zero zero zero. What this says is, I'm feeling lucky in binary. This was our, our very first tweet. And we thought, oh, let's just put it out there, and if there are geeks who want to follow us, cool. If there are non-geeks out of there out there who want to follow us, cool. Let's just see what happens. But at the very least, one of the things that we could do is just tell the people who are interested in Google, here's what we're interested in. Uh, and what we could also do is link to all these different blogs that we have and kind of sift through the stuff for the, for the things that are really most important, which is a very helpful tool for journalists. But we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, we were not the first in, uh, to, to jump into the Twitter pool by any stretch. And I'm sure there are many of you who are thinking to yourself, oh, well, February of 2009, well, welcome to the party. Fine. For us, it was a really interesting experiment. Um, I think this is from the day before yesterday. Apparently, there were a lot of people who were interested in following us. It was like almost, there's a little over 2.2 million people who are interested in following us. Some of them are journalists. Some of them are users. What a wonderful way to engage with people. What a delightful way to sort of shine a light on some of the people who sometimes have questions for us about our products and services and be able to answer them. This is just a, an amazing platform uh, for dissemination and for dialogue, and in our case, as a, as a communications tool and platform, a way to, to basically um, prioritize the types of things that journalists want or need to be seen. There's really great cross-pollination opportunities there. Um, I would like to think that all of this at Google in general, whether it is uh, the stories and stories of, of free food and massages and a place to work where some people think you don't have to work, believe it or not, we actually do do work there. Um, but all this is having an impact. And there is a ripple effect that goes on. And, and I, I, this is the reason why I want to really advance this message to you guys here now, since you're the ones who inevitably are typing on these keyboards and getting the word out as you do, there is a way for us to change the way that we engage with the public. The, the P&R of public relations, there is a way that we engage with the public and relate with the public, and it should be in a way that's authentic for people and hopefully fun. Is there anyone here who does PR for, for JetBlue? I didn't get to, forgive me, I didn't, I didn't take a, a close enough look at the attendee list. Talk about a needle in a haystack. Anyone who, who does or agency that, that, that uh, is supporting them? It's worth a shot. Because I, I could give like a high profile shout out to these people. 
don't know if you guys follow the JetBlue blog. Uh, I, I flew in this morning and, and uh, did not fly on JetBlue, so forgive me up there. But this blog is amazing. This blog, if you could, if you could follow another blog besides the Google blog that that sort of embodies the way to engage with people in language that they can appreciate, follow this blog. So this is from February of uh, of this year, and I know that you want me to talk about Google, but let me just take a, a moment to, to give a shout out to our brethren. Um, there's a, this big snowstorm here, right? All you guys were, some of you guys maybe were, were stranded in different places than that. And JetBlue gets the word out to basically say why it is that they canceled their flights. That's what they were doing. Um, who's afraid of a little snow? Certainly not JetBlue, they say. Um, we like snow, but they go on to say what they don't like is ice. That's what we're afraid of. Ice isn't good. And what we also don't like is stranding people in airports. So we're canceling our flights today. I'm, I'm just going to summarize for you. We're canceling our flights today. Why are we doing that? Because they go on to say, uh, going to airport and waiting for hours and hours sucks. Right? That's basically what they say. It sucks. And you know what? Missing it still sucks. It sucks just a little less. That is cool. Like, I'm really angry. I'm at home. I miss my flight. But, like, engage with me on a human level. Tell me really what is going on here. And so let's just rewind for a brief moment. I, I, I just want to make this point. There is this in 2002. Or there is this in 2010. And our argument is, at Google, is like, this is the way. If we never had to do a press release again, and there are sometimes uh, financial and regulatory reasons why we need to still, and, and we're attempting to push the boundaries on that, um, if we never had to do a press release again, I think we would celebrate. If we only had to do blog posts, we would love it. If we could only do blog posts in this kind of way, and I don't mean that it's all fun. Some of it has to be quite serious, and that's okay too, but let's just at least be direct with people. Many of you read our blog post uh, on China, and we can talk about that during the Q&A, but very serious, but very direct. Very serious, but very candid. There is a better way to do it. Sign up for our new email newsletter at ontherecordpodcast.com. Ya landlubber. Hard. I realized that was completely out of character, uh, but uh, I just got swept away with the music. Um, the email newsletter is back up. The On The Record online email newsletter is available. You can subscribe at ontherecordpodcast.com. Um, it comes to us uh, thanks from our newest sponsor, the folks at Blue Sky Factory. Um, in it, uh, we'll be sending out links to the top downloaded shows of the month, useful links that I tweet on Facebook but which aren't coming through in my RSS feed. And also, um, I will also be including um, money-saving uh, promotions to different conferences uh, for early registration. 
Uh, again, you can sign up at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, give me your email address, and I would appreciate your permission to send that to you. We don't intend to be too aggressive about it. Uh, if we, you know, get out three or four issues a day, joking, maybe one a month. I mean, if we do two a month, that would be big, but it's a lot of work, so I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. Right now, we're just doing one a month. Um, and again, it comes to us thanks uh, to the folks uh, at Blue Sky Factory, our newest sponsor. By the way, they have a new product that I'm uh, playing around with. It's a Facebook widget that you install on your website. And if somebody opts in, it adds their uh, the same email address they have registered with Facebook to your uh, email marketing um, list. Pretty cool. Uh, not up and running yet, but I hope to have it up and running soon. Uh, that's all. I just wanted to tell you about the email newsletter. I hope you subscribe. And now, back to the show. Hark! So, I'm going to walk you through a couple of, of examples of how Launch and Iterate uh, works at Google. Some examples in the communications, examples where it works well, examples where it worked not exactly as we thought it would. Um, and one of them I'm going to start out with is, is Chrome. Um, Google Chrome is our browser. Uh, we, we launched it uh, the year before last. Uh, and as communications challenges go in the world of PR, explaining to people why it is that they should use a browser, a specific browser, in a realm when many people use them already, and yet have no idea what it is, is pretty tough, right? These are people where you could, we literally went into the street in Times Square and said, well, like, what is a browser? Someone would say, oh, I think the browser is Yahoo. Just, there's such a disconnect for folks. Some of them say, oh, it's the, it's the, it's the little compass that I have on my Mac. Oh, okay, that's fine. That right there is a power user for us. Many people have no clue what a browser is, and here it is, we're about to launch a browser to the world. What are we doing? We're storytelling, right? You're, you're trying to explain things to people in a way that they can understand and tell them a story. We tried, we, we thought for a long time, and we were working on this for months, of how it is that we could tell people the story of a browser, and specifically our browser, which is radically different. Um, so radically different that it completely uh, turned upside down the world of browsers, and today when you, you are in your browser that you're in, uh, you'll notice that a lot of them look and function a lot like Google Chrome, which is a wonderful thing. Um, so what we decided to do was to tell the story differently. We would make a comic book. Right, so we're just rewind. So 2002, lame press release, 2010, JetBlue rocking it out, 2008, comic book. Um, why a comic book? Well, we needed folks in, in the press, especially, to be able to understand just how amazing this innovation was. Uh, we needed it to translate to the outside world in a way that included words and had a visual element, because a lot of it was, was remember, we're talking about browsers, it's not easy stuff to get. Even for the geekiest of geeky people, not easy stuff to get. Um, and so, Brian Rakowski really is a product manager. We, we immortalized him and many of others of our product managers and engineers in this comic book. Um, it is a, a just a lovely, delightful comic book that people still today 
write to us and say, I, I can't believe that, that I actually find myself reading this thing. I think that maybe they need to, to expand their, their uh, reading list, but whatever that is. They started selling on eBay for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Fine. Our point is, let's engage with people on a different level. That's what we're going to do. We're going to launch this thing, and the way we're going to launch it is, is that the day that this goes out, we're going to have reporters open up their mail, and they're going to flip through a comic book. Not a press release, not even a blog post, but a comic book. Um, except for it didn't turn out that way. I don't know if, if, if uh, you guys remember this, and I don't know what you guys were doing uh, on Labor Day 2008. I know exactly what I was doing and exactly where I was. I'm sure all of us have our own sort of in-the-trenches PR stories, uh, the ones that, you know, the dreaded phone call, like the what you guys have your cell phones on, and there's that dreaded phone call that you get, and you all know the one or two dreaded phone call stories. One of my dreaded phone call stories uh, was this one. Labor Day, I get up, and uh, I get a call from a colleague of mine, and he says, so, um, the comic book. And I said, yeah? And he said, well, uh, it got sent to a reporter. Yeah, sure, that's what we're doing early. Okay, have we talked to them? Well, we have, and I said, well, can they just wait? Can they just wait 24 hours before they do anything? Well, thing is, is that they've already scanned it, digitized it, and posted every single page to their blog. And we have 57 inquiries about this. Great. Um, if you rewind to the 2002 press release, press release is about nothing. Um, Part of the function of PR at Google, um, because we don't really do a whole heck of a lot of, of paid media, and we rely so much on, on earned media to get the word out, um, and that's the way people become aware of products and features to actually go out and use them, we don't really have a habit of pre-announcing things. You don't hear us typing things like this, because what we want to do is we want to announce something when someone can actually go out and use it and try it. Uh, that's the way that we approach it, and, and again, different strokes for different folks. You guys may do it in a different way, but this is the way we do it at Google. Um, you read about something in the paper, you can actually go try it. The fact that you have a reporter who's published the entire comic book about our browser, which no one can use, is, is a bit of a departure from that. And so we talked about, so what do we do? It's Labor Day. What do we do? And Again, in the JetBlue school of things, and the Google school of things, what you do is you be, you're really frank and tell people exactly what happened in a way that, that they can relate to. Um, and the story and the story about, about launch and iterate is, our, our lead, as it were, from this blog post was, at Google we have a saying, launch early and iterate. And while this approach is usually limited to our engineers, it apparently applies to our mailroom as well. That is exactly what happened. You had somebody who sent something internationally for a three-day delivery, and in fact, was, was ended up being a two-day delivery, and there it is. Um, and it worked out fine. It worked out okay. It really did. Um, both the comic book and the way that it, that it was announced, it was all okay, and it was a function of different 
types of communication. It was a function of engaging with people on a, on a level that they can appreciate. Uh, and again, iterating on your way there even when things don't go exactly as you would want. Moving on to search on. So, uh, as you can imagine, in addition to the stories I was telling you before of the folks who send us messages and say, what have you done to my Google? I'm freaking out. You've done this change. And they were the, the guinea pigs in some experiment. Uh, we get all sorts of messages from people, as you can imagine, good and bad, uh, and sometimes extraordinary. Um, we got this message a few years ago from a user named Ann. Um, the first line of which says, I just wanted to let you know that Google may well have saved my life. She goes on to say that, that she thought she was having a heart attack, and like any normal person who thinks that they're having a heart attack, first thing she does is go to her computer. <laughs> right? I'm sure any of you here is that heart attack did the exact same thing, right? Uh, goes to her computer and types in heart attack and gets all sorts of symptoms and results on Google to discover that, in fact, she's probably having a heart attack and goes on, and, and in fact she was, and Google may very well have saved her life. <laughs> I don't make this stuff up. Uh, we get a lot of these kinds of stories. We get stories from people sending things in and just saying how delighted they are by our, our products. Many of you, we could have like two degrees of separation on Google of people who have found this or that on Google, and I'm sure many of you have your stories. Um, and again, in a world where you have a lot of communications and including marketing that goes out that tells you a lot about different products and services, uh, most everything except what it is that the product and service actually does, um, we decided to take a different approach on this. And so what we did was um, we decided, well, why don't we just sort of give this back to users? We have all these people who are writing us in saying, here's how I'm using your products and services. Here's how it's delighting me. Here's the story of how your product has changed my life radically. And so what we decided to do was, well, why don't we just sort of reflect this back on people? Uh, and so what I'm going to do here is just play for you. Many of you may have seen this. For those of you who haven't, I'm just going to play for you just very quickly the end result of how this all came together in these search stories. So just hold on one second. See if I can get the, the interweb to work properly. Ooh, boy. Let's try this. And hopefully you'll be able to hear.
guys have to forgive me. I have stolen my, my own punchline here. This is not, in fact, the search on story that we told, but it is one that other people told after we did this, if I can just apparently launch and iterate. This is the real one. But I was going to show you that one, and you'll get the punchline even afterwards. Justin Alters is at the game, just 10 years old. He's looking to be the youngest dog I don't think so. ever. You know, if we were using a real browser here, unlike this, <laughs> I'm just saying. Just give me one second. I want to play the right one for you guys. I've already stolen my punchline. I'm not, I'm not going to deprive you of the real deal, even if, in fact, you guys have seen it. Here we go. So, it makes a little bit more sense now. Uh, I'll go back to this in one sec. We have all these people writing into us, telling us these extraordinary stories about how Google has changed their lives. We give it back to them, but we give it back to them in a way where people can understand, oh wow, I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could type in a flight number and find out if it was arriving at this time or that. I didn't know that you could do this interesting sort of spelling suggest about truffles and truffle or who knows what, right? So um, it is exciting. Um, <laughs> you all right? OK. Um, so that's how we were going to get this word out. And, um, but the response to it was extraordinary. Actually, we can go right back to this. We put these things out there, so almost 5 million people have seen this thing. You see that at the bottom of this counter? 4.995 million people have watched this video. Right? This is a different way to, to communicate with people, but the thing is, is like we put this thing out there, it, it just caught on fire. People just adored it. And we thought, well, what if we just had everybody see it. Like, really everybody see it. Um, and we had thought, well, what if we just actually just put it on TV? We had had a similar experience uh, with, with putting a popular YouTube video uh, of one of our products on, on television. I'm going to show you this one just really quickly. It's, it's, it's shorter. This is um, a video for a different browser. Um, Chrome, the one that I was talking to you about before, that we that we made to again try to visually depict what is going on with the browser and how ours is a little bit different. Um, and this one was made in Japan. 
that goes out, visually depicts a browser. Oh, that's a browser, except for that's a browser that's not particularly cluttered. Without the little pong ball in there, uh, you have a browser that basically has taken away all the superfluous stuff. Um, and we have this video out there. You can see this one has been, been viewed to over two and a half million times on YouTube. We said, well, why don't we put that on television? We did, and it had a wonderful response. So rewinding a step to the search stories, we said, well, let's put that on television too. Something which we had vowed, I think, years ago, like, oh, well, we would never do such a thing. Um, and so the day before the Super Bowl, our CEO tweeted thus. <laughs> uh, Someone has said hell has indeed frozen over. Um, so this is how we foreshadowed the coming of the search on video in the third quarter of the Super Bowl, the, the, the Parisian love one that you first saw. Um, and just the idea of X years ago, you have rodents being shot out of cannons on the Super Bowl. Uh, and this year you have an ad, a paid ad, that's out there just saying, look, this is our product, this is how people adore it, this is how people use it. And being able to engage with people on that level, which is, let the thing speak for itself. You don't have to spin, folks, just let the thing speak for itself. After that, we'd had the things like the, the punchline that I stole of myself earlier on of Tiger, and all these crazy mashups, uh, Tiger's how to get blood stains out of clothing, and these stories that people were telling and spoofs people were doing on this. But again, launch and iterate, right? You put this ad out there on YouTube, some, some viral clip, people love it. You put thing out there on search stories, you put it out there on Chrome, you do, you do this very story, very storytelling through this kind of medium. People then take it and say, we like it so much, we're going to make our own and spoofs about Tiger or other interesting, funny or not so funny things. And so the way to iterate with that is, well, why don't we just make it really easy for people? Why don't we actually create a tool that you could go into, and if you want to go into YouTube and, and uh, type in the search stories video creator, you can go do this for yourself and tell funny stories about your loved ones or, or mean stories about people you don't like and send them around to your friends, whatever it is that you want to do. But let's just do that. Let's, starting off with the woman who types in, who, who types in heart attack into the search engine and tells us about it, to these people who are telling their own search stories, let's just put it back on them and make it easier for them to continue to do this. This is a really iterative process. This right here, uh, is an example of geek humor. Um, the, some of you may not know the term Easter egg. Easter egg in, in, in the, the realm of technology are sort of like hidden gems. 
um, some little trick that you can do. If you type in currently into your favorite search engine the word recursion, um, you will, even if you spell it correctly, recursion, we will tell you, did you mean recursion? So that people will continue to click on recursion and we'll just keep telling you, did you mean recursion? Did you mean recursion? If you're an engineer, it would be very funny. <laughs> um, launch and iterate is, is a, a somewhat recursive process, right? We're getting feedback from people, we're giving it back, we're putting things out there and trying them and modifying them. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but we're taking chances. And so before I, I uh, just go on to uh, take whatever questions you would have, I just want to say this. This isn't that hard. The idea of trying something out, I get for the big things that you may not, for your earnings report, you may not want to do launch and iterate, I get that, right? Uh, for the announcement of your, your incoming CEO, you may not want to launch and iterate, I get that. But do the sort of distribution curve of the course of your year. Think through for a second all of the things you do, and some of them are gonna be at the tail ends of that curve, teeny teeny, irrelevant, relatively irrelevant things, massively important things like your earnings or CEO announcements or such. There's a bunch of stuff in the middle there that may or may not make news. Try something. Try something out. Try changing it around. Try changing around your, your language. Set up the, the Twitter account if you haven't. Set up a blog or two or dozen or dozens and see what happens. See if people are following you. See if they're listening. Put something up on YouTube. Make it easy for folks to engage with you. But also have a certain sense of curiosity about who your people are uh, and respond to them. That is the sort of launch and iterate way. So I'll pause right there and just take whatever questions you have. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.